Today is the 20th of December, 2009. The talk today is a follow-up of um, the last one I gave on hierarchy, and this is meditation. It's basically just a beginner's course on meditation, which somebody else here could just as easily give. There's many, many meditation teachers, as you know, on the planet. It's legion almost. There come hundreds of thousands of different types of meditation teachers, giving different um, forms of teaching from different religions. They're not all Hindu or Buddhist, but there's Christian forms of meditation, Zen forms. You know, they've all adapted to produce relaxation of mind on the whole, to help people cope with life. They generally associate with yoga asanas. We teach a very simplified form of meditation that's geared for Westerners specifically in their busy lives. We don't recommend to sit for a long period of time. Um, nor do we recommend Hatha Yoga as a whole. We do recommend everything that relates to being a healthy, to have a healthy body. So whatever you do, by means of relaxation therapy, you know, bodily postures, Tai Chi, Hatha Yoga, running around the block, um, is all part of the warm-up exercises for meditation. What we do want you to do um, used to be able to sit for maybe an hour with your spine straight and relaxed. And it's obvious for all of you that if you've got to have pains here and pains there, you're not going to be meditating very well at all. So it's uh, beholden to you to actually do all the things to eliminate tendencies to any form of pain when you're sitting. For Westerners, I'm quite happy for them to sit on a chair, for instance, or sit with their backs to a wall if they can't sit straight. You don't need to know yoga postures such as a Siddhi Asana or a Padma Asana, though they do help considerably to keep your spine straight. And they are recommended. But for Westerners, they often their knees get some sort of rigor mortis after they turn the age of 20 or thereabouts and after that Westerners uh, often get stiffer and stiffer and suddenly cross-legged in these yoga postures it's not really possible I've practiced for some years to try to sit for some hours if need be without having acute knee pains so <coughs> the posture as you can see is not important a straight spinal column is um, it's no good slouching because then the energy goes to the back, um, the curve of your back. And if they come out there, then there's going to be back pains for sure. And we certainly don't want uh, problems of the back arising. So if you can uh, sit up straight in meditation, then the energy will go from the base of the spine to your head lotus, hopefully, or to your heart or your throat centre, whichever, whatever's the... Um, point of orientation or focus for the energies. Also, 
with regards to this uh, keeping yourself healthy you've got the basic concept of eating healthy food living a nice healthy lifestyle drinking a lot of um, uh, wine and or smoking a lot of dope and those things uh, don't really facilitate the meditative mind of course the the um, alcohol <coughs> there's a phrase from Johnny Mitchell alcohol gets you there uh, but I mean it gets you somewhere it doesn't get you into meditation uh, it dulls your mind it kills your brain cells you all have heard the medical fraternity give you the uh, the lowdown on, on alcohol consumption a little bit is fine um, but if you're going to drink it to the point of um, getting drunk or tipsy then you're just destroying your meditative life socializing and sort of um, clinking glasses and having a little bit of, of lunch or dinner that's your habit we're not talking about it. as a matter of fact your stomach makes alcohol anyway when you're eating such things as white flour white rice um, it's, uh, digests and ferments in the in the stomach that stuff that starts and produces some alcohol mm. But what I'm trying to get to is try to be healthy through a correct, healthy lifestyle. My um, meditation pamphlet gives you the keynotes to that, which is this book, uh, The Way to Shambhala. Uh, it used to be called The Way to Meditation, and the subtitle is a meditation manual. That is um, highly recommended for my students to study the whole book. Uh, so early on, we were talking about hierarchy now we're talking about the means to get in touch with hierarchy to communicate with hierarchy and on the whole that's what today's talk is about so of course um, meat eating should um, leave your lifestyle on the whole it doesn't produce the types of pranas that are conducive to meditation nor does alcohol what happens with drugs, uh, whether it's masculine or grass or mushrooms or, or acid, they open your eye to lower, lower psychic states. They um, can also slow your mind down and you can um, hallucinate on, on any minutiae in this room and lose yourself in what can be compared to a meditative mind and it is so, however you're not in control of it. And you don't particularly want to use drugs as a mechanism to try obtain any higher states because it can't get you beyond the solar plexus centre and um, the minor chakras. And it can easily force those open, which again you don't want. And um, drugs uh, that are created in laboratories of course are very good at destroying brain cells and and leading to premature death so you know speed and those types of drugs of course they kill they um, destroy any faculty of meditative abilities so we basically just tell everyone on, in our organisation eliminate drugs, eliminate um, 
and animal products eliminate all forms of toxins in your lifestyle. Live naturally. The other, and that's all in my book, so you can read the text there and get all the detail. And then you can ask me or anyone else that's um, part of the organisation for detail if you want. There's plenty of health food books out there. Some of them are useful, some of them are not so useful. Some of them have got a lot of fanatical and distorted and weird and wonderful remedies that are not necessary. The simplest possible way to gaining health is what I espouse. Um, that involves fasting, that involves sort of eating sort of sunning down fruits and um, and plants and of course it um, involves um, breathing in proper pranas, the energies. The energy drained straight from the sunlight, energy from a nice, sane, healthy living style, preferably in a country environment or a very quiet, peaceful, shanty um, place to live in. Um, we expect everyone that's a meditator to have a um, sanctified spot in their room, a place where they can erect a little shrine and where they can sit and meditate. It's um, quite important to actually have a magnetised spot. When you're moving around, um, like those of you that have come here from overseas, you've, um, it's often good to take a little statue or something with you that's... Uh, or symbols or bells, something that you can continue to practice in your hotel room and bring a few pictures of, um, of um, a deity or a Buddha or Tara or something like that um, that um, can inspire you and um, symbolise that which you're hoping to obtain. So you make a little shrine and you continue your meditation life therein. Don't um, get lost in too much worldly mire. Um, the important thing in life is meditation. The important thing in life is that which produces liberation of your mind, expansions of consciousness. Not um, mundane livingness, not um, getting involved in what we call the maya or the maya of, of samsara. It's all illusional, not to be attached to. Um, um, understand it, work with it, master it, move on, go into high mind spaces, high enlightenment attitudes, awareness states, develop a clear mind, open your heart to higher revelations, allow yourself and begin to communicate with entities, divine entities from sublime sources and learn to distinguish between them and all of the whisperings of dark ones that um, want to manipulate you to do things that don't relate to enlightenment or loving attitudes. It's a development of the heart above all things that we're talking about in meditation. How to become truly loving. How to become truly perceptive of all things that are happening to you, externally and internally. So that your whatever happens to you in this um, maze of um, of Mara in this world of samsara, the types of karma that you're flooded with that that um, suddenly hit you out of the, like a bolt of lightning out of the blue that uh, um, teach you not to be addicted to things of the form. 
this is um, what you're going to become master of or mistress of in your meditative lifestyle and then you're also uh, opening up to the great dimensions of perception the great um, realms of realization the inner realms um, of beauty of great vision of um, astounding and wondrous entities to come and um, befriend you with their gifts wave the gift waves of beneficence and um, great wisdom and joy you understand in time that this bodily form that you're attached to is um, is a great illusion it's, it's a transitory thing um, and to um, not identify with this form as uh, as a human being you are yes we're humans because we have these forms but the human unit is not what you see around you inhabiting these forms it's something far greater than that it's spirit soul it's a uh, a child of the universe, it's a traveller in cosmos, it's, uh, it's been evolving and travelling in cosmos long before this earth was and will continue long after the earth disappears into a mist of time. We're far vaster, far more expansive, far more multidimensional than these body perceptions working through your eyes and the five sense consciousnesses um, tell you. And of course most of us are busy interrelating with these bodily forms as if that was the only reality in life when it is not so. So meditation, the world of meditation opens you up to these greater realities, opens you up to what you truly are and lets you let go of your body. You literally die before you die. I mean, um, that's one way of looking at it. You're learning to die every day. Not St. Paul says, I die daily. Uh, <coughs> um, you're letting go of the attachments to form. As you become more and more awakened, more and more enlightened, the concept of um, what happens in the life after death no longer becomes a mystery. You're experiencing those realms all the time in your meditation mind. You don't have to talk about it much. It's just simply your world. So when it comes to leave your body, you simply leave your body. You exit and you go to a very familiar place or places. The more mental you are, the more enlightened. The more emotional you are, the more you are of average humanity and you go into an astral zone, a heaven realm that they've created for themselves. And it's vast, vast as the imagination can create. There's some terrible places, hell states as well, that people go to inadvertently because they're selfish, materialistic, attached to form. They take from others, they cause a lot of pain and suffering. And the pain and suffering descends upon them. And, and um, so if they're selfish, materialistic, that selfishness descends upon them. And materialism becomes their habitat. And it is not light and filled, it becomes very dark and clammy indeed. Whatever happens to you in life after death is what you've created for yourself in this life through your emotions and emotional attachments. It's best to let go of all those things and just give. Give yourself to the um, lords of life, to the sun, to humanity. Free yourself of those types of burdens. But of course we're talking about giving wisely. Meditation teaches you how to do that, how to be wise, how to be truly loving, wisely loving, so you don't dissipate energies 
in any field of endeavor. You're instructed in meditation as to what to do. Um, sometimes you can use this um, phrase, re renew your batteries. So you can heal yourself through all forms of sicknesses. You can prevent the oncoming of sicknesses. Um, you can cleanse your mind so it doesn't react to negative impressions. In meditation, we walk and meditate all the time, so we don't really have to sit um, 24 hours like some of the great yogis have to do in seclusion and in a um, cave or a jungle retreat or an enclosed space, um, like a dungeon where somebody is um, feeding you every now and then. Um, because your enclosed space is your body, and everything that happens to your body is that dungeon. But as you're walking around, your meditation mind is alive, awake, vital, and communicating with um, multi-dimensional space. And what we're teaching you to do is to be meditators as you're living your life, as you're breathing the air around you. Vital life, vital breath, your devotion, or devoted to it, you are obedient to the impulses of the Lords of Life, and you're joyous as you give outwardly to that which you receive inwardly. Everything is just free in the world of meditation. And that's the beauty about it. It doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> as you read this Waita Shambhala and you study it and you practice the, the teachings, then you'll find that A, you've never been alone. A lot of people seem to think that they're individuals, that they're themselves, or what they call themselves, when in reality you'll find that you're part of a brotherhood or a sisterhood or a unity of souls that are travelling the same direction. From past life to future lives, they're a group of beings. Um, some are incarnate, some are disincarnate, or in a sense meditating together. Eventually you'll discover that an entire life is but a meditation unfolding before your eyes. All you have to do is recognize the nature of the meditation and live accordingly. It's wonderful to actually to be guided that way, according to the way of the meditation mind, according to the way that your soul, for instance, designed it for you to be before you came into existence. The whole plan was formulated from that little dot in your mother's womb um, outwardly um, until you sort of um, are hobbling along on, on, on three legs and um, find yourself in the, in the wheelchair or something. It's all been planned, every bit of it, before you came into existence. And what you actually have to learn to do is to work out what that plan is in meditation and follow it, without resistance, without hindrance to it. And that then produces what might be called a perfect life, the life that you are a meditation mind unfolding. Have you ever thought of your lives like that? Just simply a meditation streams sort of um, travelling down the path and, and um, manifesting the winds of change as all those winds that um, blow through society move. We call the winds of chain in, change in the text pranas. There's five different types of prana, um, the five elements, the five sense consciousnesses, the five wisdoms of the Tathagata. 
I mean, I could name the pranas. They, they, they're sort of nice technical terms, you know, prana, vayana, or dharma, samana. And then we could go into them, and this then would become a technical um, meditation treatise, or tractise, or however you want to look at it, um, related to the five chakras seen from the Buddhist perspective. And then we go into technical law of meditation. That's not so important. In our particular path, we're not going to ask you to count your breaths. One, two, three, four, five. Hold one, two, three, four, five in your mind and release slowly one, two, three, four, five or whatever the um, actual um, numbers that some meditation teachers tell you. That's all just mind, gurgitating mind. It's antithetical really to meditation. Anything that causes your mind to be convolutedly involved with itself is not meditation. The same as um, in um, some forms of meditation practices such as the Anthropasana um, that's taught through the Gaurantra system. What do they do? They sort of concentrating upon the minute of the form, um, the cellular constitution and trying to cut themselves off from any impression that comes. And that's deadly. That's, that's antithetical to meditation. The mind is always active, 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 trying to look at the minute. And it's in, then it's active, 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 trying to prevent anything from coming in. If the Buddha wanted to speak to such a person, they'd tell the Buddha to go away, get lost. Right? How can you gain any enlightenment under such a sema? Of course, um, two weeks of fasting and silence and all of that is going to awaken certain minor cities, especially if you're concentrated um, upon the form itself. But those minor cities and the type of euphoria that comes with it is not meditation. It's not the objective of meditation in any way, shape or form. In matter of fact, it can be quite destructive. Likewise, if you're practicing Hatha Yoga and you're twisting your body around and all of these types of asana positions and you're breathing in and counting breath, oh, you're really um, lucky if you don't come back out of that with a with uh, insanity or with a um, um, diseased spleen or something like that. Um, the fanaticism of the mind should not be um, applied to the body and its postures and the pranas that work through it in any way. And never ever does a meditator or should a meditator ever check, um, concentrate upon a chakra unless it is the heart centre itself. But even then, until the heart is ready to awaken, all you'll do is um, explode some of your minor chakras, like the breasts, the centres, and um, cause, sow the seeds for um, chest and throat congestion. And if you want to spend your time coughing away and um, having lots of um, sicknesses of the upper respiratory tract, then concentrate on your heart um, before you're really ready for it. Because the SP energy, which is water, goes there. So we don't really ask you to concentrate upon chakras. It's actually a dangerous practice. The heart is the safest for sure, but I've just given you um, um, one of the uh, drawbacks of it, if you're not ready for it, for the release of energy. And believe me, when you're meditating properly, it always releases energies. 
the meditator has to deal with the effects of releasing energy. Energy goes to the line of least resistance until you have an instructor that can actually teach you um, how to control that line of least resistance. It can go through your sacral center into your sexual organs and go into your stomach um, and help produce goiter or, or sort of ulcers. It can go into, um, as I said, your um, lungs and um, upper respiratory tract to, to um, make all those coughs and uh, wheezes that people have. Uh, it can go into the head if it's um, fused with Kundalini fire being released um, prematurely and producing sanity burn away all of the um, substance that um, allows you to think properly the synapses can be destroyed it's a dangerous practice to be practicing with these energies um, arbitrarily and there are many many fools out there and there are thousands and probably hundreds of thousands that think that they meditate to meditation instructors teaching um, ignorant people how to look at chakras when all they're doing is sowing the seeds for the um, the lunatic asylum of um, the um, and um, medical wards of of um, their next life in the whole it's quite logical I've explained this to you a little bit before it's in the books in any sort of sane book on meditation um, and giving you um, warnings about the dangers of premature meditation, um, kundalini yoga, kundalini awakening. But even if you're not practicing this type of yoga um, and you're living sort of um, nicely, you're eating the proper foods, you're concentrating on diet, you love the sun and all of those sorts of things, um, you're basically dancing down the street because you're full of joy of life. Um, but the uh, <coughs> energies that you release is a major concern and um, you actually have to learn to handle them and the meditation instructor actually has to assist you to make sure that they don't burn you out in one way or the other or don't go in the wrong direction what uh, the energies that release actually do for all of us is they throw out your sicknesses that's right, your samskaras, um, the negative aspects of your past lives. It's, um, or of this life, it's um, quite simple. If, um, just to give an example of it, um, if you think that all is energy, and science agrees, right? Uh, it's, we meditators and scientists are, are both in accord with the fact that all is energy. And we say energy is controlled by consciousness, by mind. So you've got this, uh, and they'll probably agree with that too. Um, they certainly have the experiments. Then just think about it. As you're going through um, your um, spiritual development and you're starting to improve your lifestyle, you're getting rid of all those drugs, you're no longer taking your alcohol, you're no longer um, debauching yourself with base foods, uh, and you start now living this high and you stop your smoking and whatever it is, your dope. Uh, habits, uh, you're no longer watching the TV, but what you what what is there when you sort of start to get into a regime of meditation is all of the energy, all of that substance, all those toxins. But when you're doing all those things, they're going to go somewhere. 
Um, and um, you're putting into your body much more healthy, vital fluids, much more um, invigorating and um, high-octane energy, yes? So that high-octane energy, that, that type of prana, that new lifestyle that you're putting into your body, um, wax that, uh, that old sort of base substance, your, your sort of um, sedentary, sort of um, dissipative lifestyle substance. And that comes to the surface. And it's no longer welcome. Then it's grey, it's brown, it's grey-green, it's sickly. It's a source of sickness now. It's no longer that which caused you joy, happiness. It comes to the surface and it goes out to an organ of your body. And as it comes out, all those pranas, you're going to get sick. It's essential. It's part of the process. There's no way of avoiding it. You um, put all of those sickness pranas into you through your dissipative lifestyle, they have to come out. And so, um, enjoy a process of having really sort of painful spleen or um, stomach um, problems or headaches coming to the surface and lots of them. Because your new lifestyle has done that. And this is about the time when a lot of um, perspective meditators leave. Uh, they don't particularly like the idea of getting these cleansings, what we call them. There's level after level after level after level after level after level after level of cleansings, of sicknesses. Subtle and subtle and subtle and sometimes quite gross. Sometimes there's some heavy thing from some past life. Um, some really base past life that you lived. You know, whoring and drinking and all of that gambling. You know, that type of lifestyle you've... Um, You've um, read about in the books, you're not doing it this life, but there's some stupid life when you're busy involved in those sorts of things. That samskara may be driven through you. Because the whole art of meditation is to cleanse you of all of your past misdeeds. Most meditators don't know anything about that and don't teach you this. But we do. Because we're always looking at your past lives, we're always looking at what's happening in the now. What needs to be cleansed? So um, meditation in reality is the primal or the primary, the only real healing technique on this planet. There's no other way of healing yourself of your true sicknesses and diseases, of your past forms of debauchery. Make sense to you? You're going to high and high energy states, therefore gross energy forms have to come out of you. And they can only come out of sickness, disease. Um, ailments or unpleasantness or backaches or, yeah, it's, it's a legion this some thing and so we're healers we look at um, everyone's problems as they come to the surface and then we try to fix them up or we let the, the amount of time ride it's not that easy to fix up for instance one whole lifetime of debauchery within a short period of time in this life so the meditation technique uh, teacher first of all is a healer of this form of healing, yes? And everyone is healing themselves because they're working to become enlightened. And enlightenment, believe me, you've actually literally in the end got to be able to hold in consciousness um, a uh, thermonuclear explosion, that type of energy. That's what liberates. That's what causes the high um, awareness states of, uh, of uh, what in the yogi text is called a siddha. Those are real psychic powers, things that can fly in the air or whatever. 
the alchemists or true alchemy. Of course, not everyone's necessary at that stage. We're talking about the time of the fourth initiation there. There's lower initiations that most people are at. But whatever level of initiation that you are um, aspiring towards, there must come the cleansings of this life plus former lives that you have not yet cleansed the samskaras from. So different types of nadis carry the elements earth, air, water, fire, and ether. Um, so depending on the type of element that you're cleansing, whether it's watery, which is for most people, uh, mixed with fire to produce various forms of steam, that comes to the surface in the various nadis and the chakras that are associated with them, and you're dealing with the unpleasant side effects. Does that make you want to become meditators? Have I sort of really inspired you? Um, or you're fearful of, of, um, of the side effects? Hmm? Perfect health is what is the objective here. It's what will happen over time. But in between now and perfect health, there's a process of getting rid of sicknesses. And so, what is the focus in meditation? What is the safe point of focus? <coughs> the safe point of focus is nothingness, essentially. Um, what you're doing is um, eliminating your mind of its own concepts. So, in our meditation technique, um, I've just given you a bit of um, a backdrop, a background to the general process and what you're generally doing. But in our meditation technique, you let go of your concepts of mind. As a matter of fact, when we sit, first of all, you'll do your sadhanas, your asanas, your ritual, your, if you've got prayers, you like, you know, Hail Mary, full of grace, you know, pray for our sinners, I don't know if you've got guys or Catholics once, it's a good prayer too. Um, it's, um, you know, if you've got prayers, it doesn't really matter what religion you're at, um, you start with them. Anything to, to make you nice and devotional and feel joyous inside, right? Um, you can do your half hour or so or sunners, um to limb up your body because you're going to sit. Um, you're going to um, go into that room sometime and actually sit after you've done all of this um, ritual. You know, I don't mind if you prostrate before the, um, uh, you know, just do your, you know, sort of 50,000th prostration of your 100,000th sort of um, uh, Abhakatushvara sort of um, sadhana um, as part of your limbing up exercises. It's, it's all part of the process. But eventually you're going to sit um, after you've prepared your mind and your body and done. We in our meditations will use a bell like this when we actually have group meditation. It's rung three times. The first time it's rung is for um, for you to start to um, pacify your physical body to make it relaxed. The second time it's rung is for you to calm your emotional body. And the third time it's rung is for you to start to eliminate all thoughts in your mind. Most people, when they sort of do this meditation, they've done all these asanas and whatever, they've come home from work, they're full of all sorts of chattiness in their mind, they've just watched a movie, I don't know what it is that, that, that's there. Um, they have to eliminate all those things. So basically, first of all, you're observing this mind, get rid of all of the, the, um, the junk that's in it. Um, so... Um, and then um, you've um, 
watch this, you've eliminated that, your mind is now calm. It's clear of this, these types of images. And then you say the Om. We, um, on page 94 of this meditation um, uh, manual, I've got a, um, a prayer here. Um, and before we do this prayer, we also have the Great Invocation, which we also say, which all of you will learn. Um, may my heart awaken to planetary purpose and the need to ameliorate the sickness, disease and the stress therein. May I evoke the will to overcome all hindrances to enlightenment. Uh, may I humble myself before the great lords of love and life so that I may learn to properly serve. This type of prayer, um, there's a shortened version of this as well. Um, this type of prayer is something that you say um, in order to visualise focus. There's no good just mumbling it with your mouth. You're actually trying to visualise it so that um, your whole mind is rightly oriented to what you're meditating for. Um, um, planetary purpose, uh, what else is it? Um, to ameliorate or to fix up sicknesses and diseases, um, distress the end, to overcome all hindrances to enlightenment, and to produce proper, true humbleness, so that you can properly serve or give to humanity. And then you can say, Om Mani Pumi Hum, but um, you should actually learn the proper meaning of these terms. Foundations of Tibetan Mysticism by Govinda is a good book for this. Though Om is sufficient. Om is um, the three different ways of saying Om is the A, uh, the O M, and the A U M. One crystallizes and um, causes the congestion of substance, which is the A U M. Uh, so it's the uh, the M is resounded. The one sort of produces the liberation of consciousness, which is the O M, where the M is not resounded. And the other one sort of um, produces um, uh, a piercing ability to cut through high all the glamours and illusions, which is the A sound. And there's a soundless sound, which happens in meditation. So there's a, a basic form of mantra saying that we give. And um, once you've done that, you've said your mantra, then you produce a clear, calm, quiescent state. You are breathing naturally. You're not counting breaths. Just in and out until you forget about it. The breath takes care of itself. It doesn't need to be thought about. Wherever the mind is, whenever there is um, um, projected upon breath, there you have a point of tension. There you have a possibility of congestion, congealing of substance a negative effect within the body. Let the breath take care of itself. Forget about it. Forget about everything. You're emptying yourself of yourself. And then um, you do the visualization. This is called seated meditation. We have a visualization which I've given to many, many, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people over the years. And it's written in all my books, so it's quite well published and well known. But it's effective. We have another meditation, and sometimes given to women, and others I could give. 
um, that's geared specifically to a particular med meditator. Um, sometimes I might give a specific ge geometrical meditation to those that have um, very, very scientific minds and so forth. Um, it's all the seed of meditation is, is relatively irrelevant, though it must be correct and proper for the symbolism associated.